Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the video game industry and uh, labor within it. Um, This is an industry that I don't think we've really discussed at length on Punching Out. Uh, We haven't dedicated a full episode to it before. Uh, We did uh, talk about conditions at Rockstar Games in our episode, Do What You Love, which is somewhere in the 50s as far as episode numbers go. Um, that far ago? Yeah. Yeah, it was wow. quite a while ago. It was we recorded that in studio to give you an idea. Yeah, we've passed a lot of water since then. At any rate, there's been more news in the industry in the years since, and uh, history some, has continued to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how it does that. <laughs> um, and some positive news, even uh, that we'll get into in due time. But I, I think it's worth sort of before we uh, dive into the current events, so to speak, just explaining the problems that this industry has. Um, One of them, which is um, sort of um, infamous within the industry, is this issue called crunch. Uh, Noah, do you remember anything about this from our previous discussion? Oh, yeah. I mean, because it hasn't gone away. And in fact, it has only gotten worse since the pandemic began. And now everybody's house is a branch of the office. Crunch or crunch time is basically the the time right before release for a video game, Um, or at least it should be the time when everybody's kind of working overtime to make sure that everything is as ironed out as possible and that there are as few bugs as possible and so on and so on. And so people are working inhumane hours. I mean, they're working, they, they might be basically living at the office, having their laundry done there or brought there. Uh, being having catered uh, uh, food at the office, that sort of thing. And the thing is, not that that's a good thing no matter what, but it used to be that that was maybe the week of pre-release or a couple weeks. And now what you're seeing from the company side is that crunch time is now months. And from the consumer side, the bugs are still there and the games are still shipping in sometimes an even like nearly incomplete state. So nobody is happy with the result that you're getting. You're making people work harder for less and less, quote unquote, like perks. They're they're not getting as much out of working that extra time and putting in that extra effort. And the result is not more productive or more polished or any better for the gamers, whom, as we know, we have to protect their feelings because otherwise they might, you know, cause the rise of fascism across the country. So that that's uh crunch crunch can really uh it it's become endemic in an industry that really depends on a whole lot of already underpaid labor um from a whole lot of people that you know this is uh this is something they signed on to do in many cases out of passion and and out of uh, a desire to be creative or to 
show off their technical skill. And instead, in many cases, they're getting ground down to just absolute nubs by the people who are making all of the money and having all of the stock options and doing all of the press. You know, we talked about that passion for their work and, you know, a lot of people, especially if you're a young male, like the idea of working in video games is very cool. And on our previous discussion, we talked about how that appeal is used to justify poor working conditions throughout the industry, because, you know, there's always going to be somebody knocking at the door who wants in and maybe doesn't realize yet what they're getting into. Just to the point that games, you know, still seem unpolished and full of bugs, you know, even despite all of this labor, it's, you know, worth noting that games are more complex and bigger than ever before. You know, the original Super Mario Bros. was developed by, you know, a team of maybe five, eight people, you know, something on that scale. And video games nowadays uh, at the quote unquote triple A level, which is, you know, the best and the biggest um, are made Which is by very confusing. You'd think it would be the major level. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> these games are being made by teams of thousands. They're being made across studios, across continents. In some cases, uh, I, I think the game at the heart of our discussion last time was Red Dead Redemption Two, which is made by Rockstar, which has studios in London and Vancouver, and I, I think California. Not positive about that, and a whole bunch of uh, people working in India as well. Like these are massive undertakings and necessarily things are going to fall through the cracks when you're working on a scale that big, just to give a little bit more context to this crunch discussion. There's an article from the Washington post uh, last March by Michael Thompson headline. Why is the games industry so burdened with crunch? It starts with labor laws. Quoting from the article, according to a 2019 survey from the International Game Developers Association, 40% of game developers reported working crunch time at least once over the course of the previous year. For the majority of these developers, crunch wasn't just a few extra hours or a long weekend, but at least 20 extra hours on top of their standard 40-hour work week. Just 8% said they received extra pay for those hours. Woof. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... This is not great. You know, uh, some might point out that in general, game dev, game developers are being paid white collar salaries. But even then, the sorts of conditions that are undertaking for those salaries, you can point to a clear issue there. And there's a lot of speculation in this article as to why this problem persists. You know, bad management, you know, unrealistic deadlines, the pressure to... Often it's the pressure to release a game before the holiday season because people buy video games around the holidays. You know, they're spending more time inside. They're buying games for their kids for Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you have that deadline to meet, there's not really a fallback option of just, you know, delaying the game in many cases. At least that is the stated story from the companies that release these games with problems and tons of crunch. Yeah, and they get to use they get to do the favorite thing that every corporation in the US loves to do, which is refer to the unaccountable people, the customers, the shareholders, the investors, uh, whatever it is. You can always find the group of people to use as a hammer against your workers, make them work harder, not give them anything for it, 
and basically say, well, it's not our fault. We, we would let you, you know, we would let you have extra pay. We would let you work normal hours, but these other people want their game or these other people want their product and you got to make them happy. You got to, um, entertain. Yeah. You got to entertain America. And, and that's how you end up with this. And, you know, as somebody who grew up when video games were still not a mainstream thing, it's kind of nuts to watch game companies, studios, um, many of whom have more money than God at this point, but concentrated like with everything else in very few hands to watch them be this subservient to uh, the idea that, you know, the, these customers, these hogs need their slop right this minute. Or we may never get them back. And it's like, look, if if Red Dead Redemption 2 or whatever, right, misses its deadline by like a week, you might lose some sales. I'm not saying you wouldn't. But there's not another horsey game waiting along the the way for for them. They're not going to go replay Gun because that game sucked. So there's, in so many cases, these are companies that are trying to, putting all of this extra effort in, when they're the only ones producing, when they have a monopoly on the game that they are making. So th- th- there's even some circumstance, there's even that art of circumstance there where it's like you are pressing extra hard for no reason. Oh, there is a reason though. And the reason is they can. And there is absolutely no reason for them not to because what is anybody going to do about it? then you can always keep creating and manufacturing crises in order to keep everybody down. You know, the points you've made are fair, but I I would note that the customers are often um, willing to be the hammer themselves. Uh, Anytime a game company makes an announcement that their upcoming game has been delayed, uh, that they're not going to make their previously announced release date, uh, you know, they're hit with waves of harassment on Twitter and other outlets uh, from the capital G gamers who are just vociferously upset about uh, not being able to get the horsey game when they had previously expected. That That is also very true. I mean, gamers, like we said, notoriously famous for being even killed people that you can appreciate their completely human reactions to things that are very proportionate and not disturbing in the least. The horsey game must flow. <laughs> the horse must ride. Like, there's got to be a better way to do that. Whatever. Uh, in addition to this well-documented problem of crunch, this is an industry that has seen a, you know, equally rampant spate of stories about uh, sexual harassment within uh, games companies. Uh, you know, th- these companies are often dominated by men, and this fosters, you know, a certain culture within the companies that is. Uh, toxic and unacceptable and you know just a huge problem within the industry for uh workers who don't fit that mold of you know the straight white male tech bro geek who is expected to be working for these companies um we talked uh, a bit during our genius awards about activision blizzard a company run by bobby Kotick, who makes tens of millions of dollars a year to oversee one such culture of harassment and just, you know, file abuse and what have you. Um, Ubisoft is another company that has had very public uh, reckoning with its internal culture and has seen a couple executives leave the company. But as with Bobby Kotick, uh, 
some of those heads still haven't rolled. And, you know, so. And they're French, aren't they? You would think they rolling heads is something the French have done. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, <laughs> they are based in Paris, though. They have studios uh, elsewhere as well. But um, the, the point I'm getting at here is that these are the problems that the industry faces. It is not actually the dream job that so many people make it out to be. You know, there are real issues within the industry. And here's where actually a bit earlier than usual on punching out, we can turn the corner into something positive because we do have good news to report, which is that for the first time in North America, a studio has unionized. Um, Yay. Bravo. Love it. Now, this is a small studio performing uh, what's called QA quality assurance. Um, These are the people ironing out the bugs before release. This is Raven Software, which is based, I believe, in Minnesota. And um, they organized under uh, Communications Workers of America and you know, formed Game Workers Alliance, the first union for a video game studio in the United States, a major video game studio in the United States. Uh, Raven Software, they do the QA work for Activision Blizzard, publisher of games such as Call of Duty and uh, Call of Duty is the big one. Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, what is it, Diablo, I know, was the other big series uh, with and Warcraft, Starcraft. So, yeah, no, uh, a lot of biggins uh, under that under that name. Uh, I'm obviously more familiar with the Blizzard side because huge nerd. <laughs> anyway, so the game industry, and this is, I think we talked about this on the last episode, has been notoriously resistant to unionization because, A, there's a very top-down culture that is enforced through that kind of toxic harassment and abuse uh, in a lot of cases. It used to be really enabled um, by the fact, by by that sort of like, the game industry used to be very much like us against the world. They were kind of the the new, uh, the, the unacceptable industry. And that allowed them to kind of eschew developing any kind of actual labor culture. And now in kind of a weird like, fortunate spin the fact that so many game companies are just corporate now the same as every other industry naturally invites the same kinds of labor struggles that you're going to have at starbucks or amazon or whatever because you're managed by the same kind of people there is no meaningful difference between a bobby Bobby kodak and a jeff bezos or a howard schultz well there is in that howard schultz is again the genius of all geniuses like the man is special He's he's generational talent. But other than that, there's no difference in sort of their approach to their job. And then, of course, the other thing is that the game industry for a very long time was able to use the fact that tech workers tend to have a certain mindset about how they approach their work. And that was partly enabled by being paid white collar salaries and getting fun perks and the company kind of like doing its utmost to do the whole like we're a family thing we 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 will do your laundry for you we'll cater for you we'll try to make sure that if you're working extra hard we are providing a replacement for your home and then in the last few years people seem to finally have woken up to the fact that that's just feudalism you might as well just go back to paying you know uh the lord rent so you can use the mill to get bread 
Uh, and that I think is, is where you start to get those, that tension that allows for collectivization, unionization, and other kind of efforts and solidarity, which is really what we're after here. Like it, it's very important to break into industries that historically haven't experienced that. It, I, I think it's useful to view video games as a subset of the tech industry with all of the, um, you know, things we've come to expect from the tech industry, you know, the startup mindset, the quasi libertarianism, the, the weirdo, uh, genius behavior in some cases, um, you know, it attracts a certain type of person to that field, certain type of worker, but also a certain type of boss. And as we've discussed at length about the tech industry, these have been barriers to collective action, to uh, building solidarity rather than, okay, I'll work this job until it burns me out and then I'll work another or I'll leave the industry and, you know, relax on the money I've made. It's worth noting here that a lot of these companies are international. We mentioned Ubisoft before. For example, their French workers are unionized. It's only in North America that there's this sort of uh, dearth. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, of, nailed it. Of, of unionization, you know, within the industry. Um, you know, and it's the French union at Ubisoft that uh, called them out for their... Yeah that called them out for their culture of harassment and sued the company for um, a, the quote I'm reading here is institutional sexual harassment, which yeah. Uh, Means a lot more than regular sexual harassment. Yeah. It's not a good phrase that um, really. exists and gets used more commonly than it should. It's I think now would be a good time to take a break here. When we come back, we can talk a bit more about this union in particular at Raven Software and, you know, how they built their success in response to a uh, culture run amok at Activision Blizzard. And also the way the industry and the companies that hold the power within the industry have responded to that unionization. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. We've been talking about the video game industry and, you know, what the issues are facing workers in that industry. And near the end of our last segment, we had the pleasant news that one of the studios within that industry has unionized, marking a first in North America. I want to talk a bit more in this segment about that unionization, the process that went into it, and then... Also, the response to it, because the response has been interesting and has not been the response that you typically see towards unionization. It certainly has not been the response that, say, Starbucks has made towards its unionization. Well, uh, no one has made the response yes. that Starbucks has made towards its unionization. Because mm. they, they again, have 
somebody who's on a whole nother planet seems like most of the time. Um, but specifically when you say they've, they've employed a different response, what are we talking about? Uh, Activision Blizzard, the, uh, troubled company that, uh, is that oversees Raven studios is in the process of being bought by Microsoft. Microsoft makes Xboxes. They want Activision Blizzard games to be on Xboxes and, you know, PCs as well. But as long as they aren't on Playstations in the future, Microsoft will be happy. They're, they spent uh, something like $70 billion on purchasing Activision Blizzard. Uh, it's the biggest transaction in the history of the industry. It is massive. Um and Microsoft, the new parent company, or potentially new, it still has to go through the FTC and a number of regulatory hurdles, um, you know, has said they're going to accept unionization at their studios. They're going to say, if you unionize here at one of our video game studios, we're going to recognize that. We're we, we not going to get pushback from us. Or um, officially, the stance is neutrality you know they they won't necessarily support it but they also aren't going to uh union bust as so many companies are want to do so i guess there were previous statements to that fact offered by brad smith who i want to say is like the vp overseeing the merger i don't remember his exact title and but there have been a couple statements to the effect that if there is a union when the merger goes through then fine, they'll recognize the union. But this was actually um, legally binding, according to the Communication Workers of America and Microsoft. And of course, that raises two questions, which one, as Ryan said off air before we started recording, bind them to what? Uh, you know, companies are famous for finding every possible loophole to like send the Pinkertons and to cut phone lines and pretend there was somebody else that did it, allegedly. So how many of those loopholes are built into this agreement? That's number one. And number two, the question here is Microsoft already got in trouble in the 90s for, you know, coming close to violating antitrust law. The question here is, is this a SOP to the FTC? Because the FTC, like the National Labor Relations Board, is taking uh, trust busting and labor rights somewhat seriously. Like they are actually trying when you say regulatory hurdles under the Obama administration, that would be a joke. But under the Biden administration, surprisingly, I can't believe we have to hand it to Joe Biden on this. To be fair, we don't. We have to hand it to his handlers because um, I'm sure he has no idea that this is happening. But the Federal Trade Commission is actually mounting those hurdles. They're actually saying, no, we're not just going to let this go through. It's not just going to be a matter of dotting your I's and crossing your T's. You're actually going to have to show your work on this. And as a result, is Microsoft just trying to make sure that Jennifer Abruzzo is not immediately going to slap them with union busting and allegations and, and push them to recognize the union? And that's a real question that you have to ask. Like, is this a worked out agreement that they're not going to cross the union in exchange for being allowed to become this even more massive company than they already are? Yeah. To me, like the whole labor neutrality agreement, it, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't, 
it doesn't vibe with what we know about how companies react and how they they interact with labor, um, which makes me think that Noah's really onto something and that there's got to be something else here. And, and the new labor neutrality agreement sounds um, acceptable enough to people who are not paying attention uh, to be like, oh, yeah, cool. They're going to accept the union. But at the end of the day, companies, unless they have a culture of actually wanting unions like um, a lot of German companies do, um, at the end of the day, this is antithetical to what they want out of labor, which is cheap labor as cheap as possible. They're absolutely willing to burn down um, stores and companies and business models in order to prevent unionization because it's what would is beneficial across all industries and the only class with class solidarity is the upper class and the capitalist class because they know that they're all on each other's side and then they'll they'll do that that's why uh howard schultz is consistently anti-union so a labor neutrality agreement to me that doesn't mean anything to me it's just a whole bunch of meaningless words in my opinion um, I'm going to quote a bit first from uh, this letter by Brad Smith, which has, quote, uh, stated Microsoft's principles on the matter, um, which is sort of a... Ha <laughs> you know. Microsoft principles. Okay. I, I don't get that joke, but maybe somebody will. They don't have any. Oh, well, okay. I, I didn't know if that was like a software they had. <laughs> that sounds like a, the next... Yeah, uh... the next part of the office suite, the one that... The one that you have to sign on to first, and it uh, and it forces you to turn over all your private data to the corporation. Don't give them ideas. So the first of these principles is, quote, we believe in the importance of listening to our employees' concerns. Our leaders have an open-door policy, and we invest in listening systems and employee resource groups that constantly help us understand better both what is working and where we need to improve. But we recognize that there may be times when some employees in some countries may wish to form or join a union. Now, all of this bit about listening, this sounds uh, very similar to classic anti-union talking points. It's the idea that you can just talk to us if you have a problem. You don't need collective action to solve these issues. And the sort of hollowness of this letter was criticized in a article in Engadget on June 2nd by Brian Menegas. This letter's laying out principles, but if they're as sort of uh, vague and uh, as that first principle, there's, you know, reason for skepticism, sure. Principle two is we recognize that employees have a legal right to choose whether to form or join a union. And as Menegas points out in the article, it could be restated as we are committed to obeying the law because, of course, they have a legal right to form or join a union. That's not Microsoft's decision. That is a decision made by uh, the NORB and the government. Sorry, I just want to go back to one quick thing. Sure. You said in the first principle that they they developed listening systems. Like Yeah, yeah that like did stand out to me as I was reading it. Like, there's no way in which that phrase is good. They have a suggestion box. Yeah. That, I mean, that's reading, not listening. But sure, sure. Whatever. Whatever. It's a voicemail box. Nice. <laughs> that would be that would be even funnier because then then they run your then principal runs your voice 
through its identification <laughs> software. You have to provide a voice print when you get hired at Microsoft. Love it. Yeah. Anyway, so second the principle. is full and cannot record right now. Goodbye. Yeah. So we got first principle is we listen to you, so stop complaining anyway. And principle two is we will do what the law requires us to do. This is inspiring stuff. Real like Ten Commandments level uh, originality, you know, real, real breakage with previous corporate culture. What about the others? Uh, principle three, and this is where, uh, Menegas really has an issue is, um, quote, we are committed to creative and collaborative approaches with unions when employees wish to exercise their rights. And Microsoft is presented with a specific unionization proposal. In many instances, employee unionization proposals may open an opportunity for Microsoft to work with an existing union or agreed upon processes for employees to exercise their rights through private agreement. We are committed to collaborative approaches that will make it simpler rather than more difficult for our employees to make informed decisions and to exercise their legal right to choose whether to form or join a union. And as Menegas writes, this is de facto, quote, an undermining of the union process. This is the sort of thing that no evil foods might say about their union. You know, we believe that you will make the right decision after we have properly informed you. Um, there, you know, there's a veiledness to this statement. It, it is when it comes to Microsoft specifically, which was like the original uh not not the original i suppose there were others but the big evil tech company of the 90s and even into the 2000s right before google and apple and meta world peace and all the other ones showed up it's particularly ridiculous to not take anything they say without noticing the threat right like everything it, it is impossible to read anything they put out there without thinking this is nice job you have there would be a shame if you lost it by unionizing. And and this document is basically just admitting that I mean I I think it is admitting the sort of conspiracy theory we've we've been essaying here which is that Microsoft is willing to put this out because they're hoping that this will make the FTC look kindly on their merger. That they're basically trying to see what they can get away with like you know a kid trying to figure out how what fraction of an ass he has to put on a certain uh, uh, essay or quiz or whatever to get the, the passing grade. And, well, these companies are often run by emotional adolescents, as we unfortunately have so much reason to know these days. So, quite fitting. There's a lot in at least this first, uh, quote, statement of principles that uh, is left to be desired. A lot of vagaries, a lot of... Um unclearities, a lot of um, other ways to phrase that same idea. But the very next day after that Engadget article uh, was published, there's uh, an agreement between Microsoft and CWA, which is actually a labor neutrality agreement. This is not just Microsoft saying its principles, but something that they came to an agreement with uh, the union that represents these workers. Um, Quoting from the press release by CWA, so somebody who has no reason to over to uh, necessarily uh, make Microsoft out to be better than 
they actually are. This agreement provides a pathway for Activision Blizzard workers to exercise their democratic rights to organize and collectively bargain after the close of the Microsoft acquisition and establishes a high road framework for employers in the games industry. Um, Microsoft's binding commitments will give employees a seat at the table and ensure that the acquisition of Activision Blizzard benefits the company's workers and the broader video game labor market. Um, The agreement addresses CWA's previous concerns regarding the acquisition, and as a result, we support its approval and look forward to working collaboratively with Microsoft after this deal closes. Um, They seem optimistic about this, at least from that statement there. It's explained later in this press release what exactly was agreed to. Um, First, Microsoft will take a neutral approach when employees covered by the agreement express interest in joining a union. Second, covered employees will be able to easily exercise their right to communicate with other employees and union representatives about membership in a way that encourages information sharing and avoids business disruptions. Uh, Interesting what that would entail. Third, employees will have access to an innovative technology-supported and streamlined process for choosing whether to join a union. Also interesting. Fourth, employees can... Yeah. Fourth, employees can maintain confidentiality and privacy of that choice if they wish. Fifth, if a disagreement arises between the CWA and Microsoft, the two organizations will work together promptly to reach an agreement and will turn to an expedited arbitration process no. if they cannot. Um, oh, is that is that by God? Is that Neil Gorsuch's music I hear? <laughs> there's a lot in that. Obviously, this is something that is in some ways better than the status quo, the expectation that Microsoft might just aggressively union bust. But at the same time, you know, this is not uh, the CWA getting everything that they wanted and Microsoft sitting idly by. Um, Where do you want to start with all that? Well, I I would start with the first point, which is like, again, just them saying, yeah, we'll be neutral, which they are supposed to by law be neutral. And like that, I think that's why I don't like the idea of a labor neutrality agreement specifically, specifically calling it out because there is already law that says you must be neutral in this fact. And if you have a separate agreement that seems to, in many ways, take away the rights of workers already to organize by saying, these are the, the conditions under which you can organize, which are different than your legally uh, guaranteed rights to organize. It's very suspicious. So I'm not a fan of this agreement. I mean, other people... I think it's fair to have those suspicions, yeah. Yeah. Maybe the people in the agreement think that it's a good deal, but uh, having a basically um, new tech to record your vote, uh, never a good idea. And who's going to be doing that? Oh, I bet you that's going to be what the uh, Microsoft suite principle is. their new voting technology for that, which you can choose to rena- remain anonymous, can choose to, like, ah! Uh, there's so many points on that that I have some deep concerns. I guess the question is, if the CWA is saying that this addresses their concerns and they support approving it, I guess, or, or rather my hip shot on this, is that they think that's the best they're going to get. Um, in terms of Microsoft agreeing to back out of anything, right? Like they're 
that when combined with the aggressive way that the NLRB has gone after common abuses by employers, maybe there is something there. I don't know how much, but one thing that we've said a lot on this show is that if there's a weakness to the Wagner Act, the weakness is that it basically enshrined one process for unionization. And that always helps out the corporation because they're the ones who can afford to hire the lawyers who can find every possible weakness, every possible crack in that process. And in some cases, pay to get them put on the Supreme Court so they can end that process. Again, friend of the show, Neil Gorsuch. So what you have in what what you have here is the CWA trying using the pressure on Microsoft placed by regulation to see if they can take away some of those weapons, if they can reduce the overwhelming advantage that Microsoft is going to have. Um, and, you know, more power to them and, and good luck. I, I don't know that it's going to work. Uh, there are a lot of factors against uh, a union drive in the games industry functioning. Some of those are structural. Some of those are cultural. But we live in a very unique historical moment because a couple of years ago, nobody would have thought that Amazon was going to successfully unionize anywhere. And nobody would have been saying that, what is it now, like 100 Starbucks stores, if not, uh, if not a couple hundred, are unionized across the United States. The, so the last figure I saw is something like five thousand Starbucks employees have unionized. Which, so there you go. Like nobody would have said that two years ago. Of course, we also didn't know Howard Schultz nearly as well as we do now. Maybe we would have been able to predict that if we'd known that then. Well, I, no, I think two years ago he was. No, he had already stopped running for president. Yeah, that's true. But like the last uh, try he had at union busting is was very successful. And I think that um, history does not seem to be repeating itself in that case, which is good. We like that. I, I think there might be two ways to look at this agreement. And one being from the perspective of the small fraction of Activision Blizzard workers who have already unionized at Raven Studios. And... The other perspective being from the thousands more workers, the lion's share of workers at Activision Blizzard and at Microsoft's other video game studios who might want to unionize in the future. You know, this might be Microsoft saying, we'll play nice by, you know, these guys because they're a drop in the bucket at the end of the day, as long as we can sort of tamp down on an expansion of that movement. If we have tools in our arsenal to, you know, keep everybody else from following suit in the way that one Starbucks store has followed after another. Um, And I'm not really smart enough or qualified enough to make a judgment on how that strategy might play out. But it seems to me that those are the considerations at play. Um, On that note might be a place to end this segment and when we come back we can discuss you know as usual i'm punching out what might make all this better how do we fix this what's what do we do here you're listening to punching out on wayo 104.3 you can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on itunes soundcloud and other podcast apps we are also on facebook and twitter at punching out wayo 
Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Games. And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, We spent the first 40 minutes of today's show talking about the video game industry, as you might have guessed from Noah's... uh, what what do we call that now? Um, tag? I don't know. Exclamation. Okay. Yes, good. exclamation like is that. the is the way to go. Not not the um, X word I would have used, but sure. Let's keep going with that. Anyways, we've been talking about the video game industry and you know the fact that it has now in North America seen its first unionization, and we can also report to you know not first, but might be news to you that it has also seen a second unionization in the time since Raven Studios uh, unionized. Um, Go team, let's go! This occurred at Keyword Studios, which does uh, QA work for BioWare, which in turn is a subset of EA, which is another major player in the video games industry. You might know BioWare from series like Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Um, Hold up a second. Bioware is still a subset of EA? Yeah. Okay, so real quick side note. EA the other day posted a meme on Twitter that was, she's a 10, but she only likes single-player games, which is all Bioware makes. Yeah, not 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 sure what was going on there, but also really not. Anyway, not completely off-topic, but yes. I didn't realize that relationship was still in existence. The brands mm-hmm. have to seize the moment. Yeah. It's important. Uh, setting aside whatever EA is doing on its social media, um, BioWare has studios in Austin, Texas, but more relevantly for this story in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where uh, workers at Keyword Studios unionized, becoming Canada's first uh, unionized game studio and the second in North America. So already, you know, we can't directly attribute this success to the one at Activision Blizzard, but you know, who's to say that there wasn't a bit of overlap in, you know, rationale and reasoning and what have you here. The the point I'm getting at is that, you know, maybe we will see the sort of ripple effect and domino effect that we've seen at Starbucks through the video game industry. You know, once these cracks have formed, you know, maybe it's possible that the whole industry is just waiting to be toppled by unions like CWA. One can only hope. Would be great. Um, I, I do think it's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, this union at uh, Raven Studios and the union at EA as well, you know, these don't come out of nowhere. These don't come out of vacuum. These come from years of, you know, organizing and, antagonizing within the industry by the workers at uh, Game Workers United, uh, among others, uh, who have been sort of pushing for the um, for the industry to unionize and to for collective uh, solutions to its problems. Uh, uh, Emma Kanema is quoted in this article from by by Wired about the process of unionizing at Raven Studios, and she's been 
a vocal critic of the industry in years past. Um, and, you know, these are the sorts of people who have been sort of leading the charge in a way. And as we've pointed out on the show before, organizing is work. You know, this doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of work and it's important to acknowledge the work that goes into it. And especially in an industry where you are working overtime, not always paid overtime, where you are expected to put up with, I mean, again, inhumane hours with the kind of interference uh, or, or interference from management, changing deadlines, all this stuff, the harassment both within and without of the company. Like it, it's, it's a particularly tough job. I mean, organizing is work no matter where you're doing it, even in the most favorable environment. But for game workers to do it, they're facing down a whole lot of different sectors of people who are angry at the idea that they should have rights. And, you know, hats off in that regard, because there's the point of things like crunch is precisely to make it less possible for you to unionize ultimately. Like that's the long-term point of it. It makes it less possible and, and the frequent layoffs and the turnover and all of that stuff. The whole point is to make it so you don't collectivize. So the fact that they're succeeding in the face of all of that, incredible. Uh, another thing that we've been remiss in not pointing out so far is that Activision Blizzard, for their part, were uh, very much, you know, not neutral in the unionization effort. Uh, before this vote took place, they had been you know, running all the stops that you might expect from a company engaging in union busting. Um, this is a company that has seen large scale worker walkouts in recent years, owing to its harassment problem and uh, a number of other issues, you know, so this is a company that uh, has not taken the soft touch that Microsoft is promising to take at any rate, you know, these are the sorts of obstacles that workers in the games industry will have to overcome. And another news item that we wanted to bring up during this episode and haven't really had a place to do so yet. Another kind of obstacle for workers to overcome. Although actually I feel like this one might make organizing easier if you're going where I think you're going. Yes. Yes. Um, This is more in the Howard Schultz uh, category of responses to workers. Um, you know, after the Supreme Court's ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, workers throughout the games industry have been, you know, sort of vocal in expressing their displeasure uh, in the American games industry in particular, obviously. But um, um, and, you know, a company like Bungie, which makes the Destiny series and uh, in times past had made the Halo series, um, had vocally said that, you know, on Twitter that, you know, they were pro-choice and they would work to support their workers however they chose. And, you know, they took the uh, angle of solidarity with those workers. Sony, which makes PlayStation, took a sort of different approach. Um, PlayStation president Jim Ryan wrote an email to uh, company employees Uh, which, according to this Bloomberg article, quote, didn't take a stance on abortion rights, instead writing that the company and its community are multifaceted and diverse, holding many different points of view. He wrote that 
quote, we owe it to each other and to PlayStation's millions of users to respect differences of opinion among everyone in our internal and external communities. Respect is not equal agreement, but it is fundamental to who we are as a company and as a valued global brand. (laughs) Thereby implying that gamers are reactionary uh, uh, regressives. Where's the lie? Just saying. Fair, yes. (laughs) But, Um, But what's important, what really makes you realize where maybe all of the supply line problems with the new PlayStation and all of that uh, have been coming from is what happened next. Yes. Um, beyond this sort of uh, boilerplate declaration of, uh, you know, a different sort of neutrality, uh, quoting from the article, Ryan then went on to share, to write that he would, quote, like to share something lighthearted to help inspire everyone to be mindful of having balance that can help ease the stress of uncertain world events, saying it was recently his two cats' first birthday and elaborating over the next few paragraphs about his cat's birthday cakes, their noises, and his desire to one day get a dog. Great. Really reading the room there. <clears throat> Super relevant. When, when Sony promotes people to higher positions, they're not promoting their best. Just an incredible thing to include in the same email as your uh, sort of company-wide statement about a Supreme Court decision, much less one as, uh, you know, significant as this one. How long did he go on for about the cats? Five paragraphs. Oh, so he wrote an, homeboy wrote an essay. A standard intro three-body paragraph conclusion essay. That is what he did. Yeah. This is the most boss thing we said all episode because that is the the delusion that your employees want to hear about your pets without asking is on a whole nother level. Like just that that is that is a level of is I mean it is self-centering because it it's you trying to live I almost said viscerally, vicariously yeah. through your pets. I mean, it's pretty clear that the guy doesn't well, it's get it. you expecting like, your workers to live vicariously through your right. pets, which is a it's, whole it's, other level of. It's very clear that it's not an issue that would impact him. Why should he? He's presumably a cis man and he uh, is of a class where he will never have to worry about abortion access. Um, unlike most of us, I will say. Uh, and it's very much so in that. And I think what rubs most wrong about it is it's just so, um, I don't know, blonde. Like, I don't even know how to say it. It's, it's very clear that the guy doesn't get what the issue is and don't know how to go from there. It's... Um, it- <laughs> I'm also searching for the word here. It's it's really akin to Howard Schultz uh, likening Starbucks's ethos <laughs> to Holocaust victims. Is <laughs> the closest yeah, thing I can come up yeah. with. It's Schultzian. Schultzian. Very good. That's gonna be that's gonna be in heavy rotation. Um, no, it it's. I mean, the thing about it is. You know, where I work, we get when our boss remembers. Wait, what do you do for work now? Who can I say? I forgot. Um, we get regular when he remembers. 
notes every week from our boss and he loves to put little asides about what he did during that week. This is, I don't know what it is that that bosses love to do this thing where they think you want to hear about the rest of their lives. It's I like his version like, of a Christmas card. You know, he's got a detail. Yeah. It's like a training, I think it's a training seminar or a leadership thing they all take where it's like, you know, be human. Uh, have have you know shared details of your life and so on it's like avoid the the thoughts about your uh 200 per person dinner that you went out to the other day because you make so much more than everybody else right more human things than that well the thing about that is that the, the the flip side of that right is that at its most specific that kind of advice is saying if people ask you know or use it to justify a point and basically, this man just decides to tell us about, I don't know, hiking a new trail or whatever. And there's not really a point to it. There's nothing he's trying to communicate. All he's saying is, I can do this because I am in charge of you. Um, I've said before on this show that being you know you're in management when your psychological issues become everybody else's problem instead of your own. And to me, that's one very kind of... Um, uh, like low intensity background way that that happens when your employees have to pretend to be interested in the rest of your life because you want to share it with them and they don't want to get in trouble. And eventually you get the kind of self-involvement and egotism that deals that, that reaches the level where you write five paragraphs about your cat's birthday. Like anyone's going to care after what you just said. just unreal uh naturally this provoked uh responses from the people receiving the in the email uh quoting from the article employees at several playstation studios expressed their displeasure at the tone of the email some women wrote that they felt their rights were disrespected or trivialized by the message one employee said they'd quote never been so mad about a cat birthday before um, that's how you really know you failed because if you've lost the white woman cat, presumably, if you've lost the woman cat brigade, like you've really messed up. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we try to put a positive spin on things. Um, you know, where do we go from there? You know, is the moral here? Don't email your employees about your cat's birthdays. Or do we have some other uh, lesson that might be more uh, valuable? I mean, it's, you know, it, it's cool news that there is uh, yet another industry that traditionally isn't or hasn't been unionized that is making um, small but significant inroads to unionization. And we just got to keep on, keep it on, I guess. I would say the lesson here is when you have because this is true now of every industry. It doesn't matter what you work in. The people who are at the helm, the, the people in management, the people who are making all the money or have all the power or both, are all the same now. It used to be that it was possible to differentiate meaningfully the people at the head of a games company from the people at the head of, I don't know, a hospital, from the people at the head of a hedge fund. But now they're all the same kind of person. There And that naturally is going to invite the same kind of response. That's why you're beginning to see 
solidarity and collectivity and unionization happening in industries that were once thought to be unorganizable. And while I don't want to give the corporate, uh, the, the corporate overlords, I don't want to give them a playbook out of this, uh, obviously. I think there is something to be said for the fact that if it doesn't matter what field you work in, this is what your job is like. This is what your workplace is like. You might not think it is, but it is. The people in charge of you are exactly the same as Cat Birthday Dude or uh, Bobby Kotick or, well, again, no one is like Howard Schultz, but they certainly have that same view of the people who work for them. And so it might be worth asking, and, and Bezos as well, and so it might be worth asking, is this the right time to form a union? Is this the right time to organize? Is this the right time to collectivize? Short answer, it is. But you might want to start asking your coworkers and your colleagues about it because God only knows that the rich and the powerful are depending on our inability to recognize that we are all swimming in the same horrible, horrible, muddy, polluted river. They don't they they want us to think that we each have our own little sections of it that are slightly different. They're not. We're all gonna drown in sludge if we don't make an effort to get each other out of it. I think that's really well put and a good way for us to end this episode. For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. And I'm was Noah. This is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.